episode 38 of the 2QB Experience. It's Earth Day, April 22nd. This is the 2017 pre-draft experience. Uh, I'm your host, my name's Greg Smith. I'm on Twitter, at Greg Sauce, and here at the Casa de Sauce, the coffee is hot. Hopefully the takes will be hot as well. Uh, for those takes, we're going to turn to a contributor from 2QBs.com, from Rotoviz, Number Fire, Fantasy Insiders, uh, Draft Day Consultants, Anthony Amico, uh, at Amixta on Twitter. Anthony, I, I appreciate a static and personalized Twitter handle. I, I've had the same Twitter handle forever. It seems like you have to. Have you have you had any pressure to, I don't know, make it more football-centric or football-oriented? No, not yet. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I've seen people make the change. You know, like, I could always go, like, Amico NFL or something. But, I don't know, it's just not me. Like, this is kind of, like, the brand I've built. Like, this is who I am. And, uh, you know, I don't really see a reason to change it. Yeah, you are your own brand. I, I, I like that. Um, well, we're here to talk about the NFL draft coming up uh, Thursday of this coming week and how it relates to fantasy. This is a fantasy podcast. Uh, we're going to try to focus on two quarterback and super flex leagues, but we'll dive into the other positions as well besides QB. But I kind of want to just fire away right right off the bat with some quarterback questions. You down? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so which rookie quarterback do you think is the most undervalued for 2QB fantasy going into the draft, like right now? Uh, for me, it's definitely Josh Dobbs out of Tennessee. Uh, I checked uh, the My Fantasy League rookie ADP, and he's going as the quarterback 11. Uh, but at two QBs and at Rotoviz, uh, I ranked him fifth. I'm really big on on Dobbs. Uh, strong senior season at Tennessee, 8.3 adjusted yards per attempt. Uh, was a tremendous athlete as well. Uh, and those are the kind of guys I like. I like my quarterbacks to be efficient. I like them to be athletic. Uh, and I think that he kind of represents like an arbitrage opportunity on Deshaun Watson. Like, I don't really think Watson is, uh, you know, like the cat's meow. Like everyone saw him obviously win the national championship. But I think when you look deeper into the numbers, he's not really that much better than Dobbs, you know, if at all. So I think the opportunity to get Dobbs, uh, you know, potentially a lot later, um, you know, is a really nice value for fantasy owners. And so just to explain the arbitrage thing to folks who might not know what that means, that's generally saying that Dobbs has the potential to be a similar type of prospect for a much cheaper cost on draft day. Yeah, yeah, range of outcomes, very similar, uh, you know, cost very less. Where, where do you expect him to go in the draft? Well, it's interesting because uh, Todd McShay actually just said something the other day that he might sneak into the first round, wow. which I didn't really expect. I thought he'd be more of like a late day two or, or maybe early day three kind of pick, just because I hadn't really heard anything about him. But if the buzz is good, I mean, I don't think he'll really go in the first just because, I, you know, usually these quarterbacks get kind of like pushed up in mocks and then uh, they kind of filter their way down as the draft goes. But if he does go on day two and he's a solid day two pick, uh, that's that's really good. Yeah, that to me reeks of like a leaked report or a, a little bit of misinformation, maybe a team saying that they have a first round grade on him when they know they wouldn't take him that high. I think that happens a lot in the NFL. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, is there a non-rookie Dynasty QB you think is severely underrated right now? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a bunch, honestly. And I, the the primary thing that I look for when I'm trying to find, uh, you know, like a value Dynasty quarterback is usually age. Like, I'm, I'm definitely team old guys in Dynasty. Like, I love Breeze. I love Brady. Uh, those guys seem to be kind of undervalued every year. But the guy that I'm just shocked hasn't gotten more love is Kirk Cousins. Um, he's my QB3. 
on uh, 2QBs.com if you check out the Dynasty Rankings tab. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of just all in on this guy. I don't really know why people don't like Kirk Cousins. Maybe it's because he was a fourth-round pick. Uh, maybe it's because, you know, people still are waxing poetically over the, you know, lost career of Robert Griffin. But, I mean, Kirk Cousins has been awesome. Fourth in passing yards over the last two years. Uh, honestly left a bunch of touchdowns on the field in 2016. Uh, probably should have, just based on, like, some simple math, probably should have been closer to, like, the 31-32 touchdown area, and he only threw for 25 touchdown passes. So um, he was a top-five quarterback last year even with that. So I think that Cousins is someone who, you know, people are, are hesitant to buy, uh, maybe because of the also the contract issue with Washington. But, I mean, this is a guy I think you need to just go out and get now because I don't see his, I don't see his prospects going forward really changing. Even if he, even if he was like to change teams, I'd still really be buying him. I mean, the teams that you hear him going to potentially next year are like Cleveland, who have, you know, a bunch of passing weapons that are really good. Hugh Jackson is no slouch as an OC. Uh, and the 49ers, who are a little more, you know, thin at receiver, but they still have Pierre Garçon, who's a guy he has experience with. They still have Kyle Shanahan, who we already saw do wonders for Matt Ryan. So I just don't really see the outcome for Kirk Cousins where he all of a sudden becomes like even a low-end QB1. He just seems like an upper-tier guy for me. Yeah, I think a lot of the knock on Cousins is based upon that RG3 narrative and, and not necessarily that people still believe that RG3 is a better QB, but that the hype that RG3 got for those first couple of years when Kirk Cousins was getting started kind of just made Cousins look bad by comparison because he wasn't playing as many games, he wasn't putting up the same types of stats he has. Uh, I'm actually getting to work on the 2QBs.com draft guide, uh, which will be released you know, closer to redraft season. Um, and, I'm, and I'm looking at a lot of floors and ceilings and, and that sort of um, range of outcomes that you're talking about with other players. Here with Cousins, like... If you include his entire career, or like all the going back to 2012 at least, you see a guy whose floor is looks bad because those first three years uh, he didn't play more than six games. But over the past two seasons, with 16 games uh, in each year, he's hit about 300 fantasy points both years. Finished inside of the top 10 uh, in total points, a uh, top 15 QB in points per game, uh, with 18 points per game or more in each of those seasons. Uh, he's been really good the past two years, and. I do have some concerns about, you know, the receiver exodus that he's had there, but they've brought in some other guys too. Um, Terrell Pryor is interesting. I, I think that you're right. I think that he's probably a little undervalued. I was definitely too low on him in my first uh, iteration of the rankings at the site, and, and I'll need to update that. I need to move him up because the, the deeper I've dove in since, you know, I did those initial rankings, the more I've come to think that, you know, maybe this, is who Cousins is. Maybe he just is a, a good quarterback and needs to be in that, you know, second tier with, and I'm talking redraft now, but like that second tier with Matt Ryan uh, and, and maybe even above a guy like Matt Stafford. So, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you on Cousins. Um, you mentioned some of the older guys like Breeze and Brady, and I, and I kind of wanted to follow up with you there. At what point do you try to get out from underneath those guys with the age cliff approaching? Uh, I, I don't. I mean, I think those are guys that you buy – like you should have been buying probably three years ago, uh, but you can still buy if you haven't already because they're still super cheap. I mean, Breeze has been Breeze has been somebody that people have been trying to sell as a declining asset like five QB one seasons ago. He all this guy does is mash. The the Patriots just added Brandon Cooks 
And Brady, you know, for his first few games back last year especially, was absolutely crushing. Uh, he does typically decline further, you know, the further the season goes, just because it gets a little colder. But he's going to get those first four games back this year that he didn't have last year. Uh, and I like both those guys to continue to do well. I, you're just never going to get the value back that they're worth to your roster in a trade. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to give even like a high second round pick in a rookie draft for those guys. Uh, if we're talking about, you know, trading for a particular player, I don't really think that people are going to be, uh, you know, willing to move a lot, maybe like a, a wide receiver three or something. Like, I, I just think that their value to your roster is so much greater than what you're going to acquire in a trade. So just in general, you would ride them out into the sunset and until they retire? Oh, yeah. Okay, good deal. Uh, let's turn our eyes back to the, or eyes, I guess we're, we're not really looking at anything on a podcast, but let's turn our attention back to uh, the rookies. And um, I, I kind of pulled some of the other two QBs guys about, uh, you know, Dynasty and, and the rookies. Uh, and Josh Lake was surprised that you had, or that you said that Mahomes would be your 101 if the Texans take him uh, on Thursday. And he was curious, how do you weigh draft position against other factors? Like, is it 10% of your evaluation, 50%? Um, it doesn't have to be a percentage, but uh, give us a, a little peek into your process there. So draft position definitely matters. Uh, if you look at some of the work that Nick Giffen, a.k.a. Rotodoc, has done over at Rotoviz uh, with like his QB models, uh, draft position is definitely a significant factor uh, in those models. Uh, it's been a significant factor for quarterback success, but it... it really is like a case-by-case basis for me just because if Mahomes, if a guy like Mahomes is going to go in the first round, um, you know, and the Texans pick obviously a little later in the first, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, penalize him for being like a late first round pick if I think that that may be um, like an inefficiency in the NFL draft room. So right. I, I personally think Mahomes is the best quarterback in the draft. And, and different and, and teams only get one pick in the first round for the most part. So if if they pick him at fifteen, like they probably would have picked him at ten as well, right? Exactly, exactly. And you know, Josh and I have talked about this a little bit. Like if if the Texans trade up, that also kind of speaks volumes, even if it's only like five or six slots, uh, about how they feel about him. Okay, interesting. Uh, is there an NFL landing spot that would turn you off to like any quarterback prospect who's drafted by that team, like regardless of who the QB is? Uh, I mean, outside of the teams that already have, like, an obvious long-term starter, I don't think so. Uh, just because I think that team success is driven so much by quarterback play, if the pro- if a prospect is going to be really good, I-, I don't think it really matters where they go. I mean, I think that, like, a team, like, the Jets were the first team I thought of when I saw this question. And I was like, but even the Jets, if they were to get a quarterback and he was a good player, they would probably just be a much better team. So I don't think I would really penalize for that. And that speaks to the current state of the NFL, right? It's it's a passing league, and, you know, if a quarterback gets to start 15, 16 games as a rookie, maybe even, you know, 10 to, 5, or 10 to 13, that's going to be valuable for fantasy owners uh, regardless, especially in start-two formats. You mentioned, you know, teams with entrenched starters. Is there any – who's the NFL starter you think has the most to lose in this draft, uh, whether, they, whether they deserve it or not? Probably Blake Bortles. Just because there have been some rumblings that Jacksonville maybe isn't going to extend him, uh, and that they might draft a quarterback, probably not at four, but maybe like in the second round. Uh, I, I don't know. I honestly don't even really think it's that warranted. Like I'm not, I'm not super pro Bortles, but I'm also not anti Bortles. Like I, I don't, I don't think he's been terrible. 
Um, you know, from the standpoint of like some of these other replacement guys that they could have. Like, I guess they could draft a quarterback at four, but unless they're going to draft Patrick Mahomes or like Mitch Trubisky, which I don't even think they would, it sounds like they'd maybe, maybe draft Deshaun Watson. Like, I think that's not even an upgrade for them. Yeah. It, uh, so it, Bortles definitely has a lot to lose. And, and it seems like most of the prospects in this class don't necessarily profile to be better than Bortles. I was watching um, Matt Waldman's uh, Boiler Room on Trubisky, and he was, you know, pointing out the similarities between the two. And at one point, he even, I think, uh, mistakenly called uh, Trubisky Bortles, which was hilarious. But he made the same sort of point. It's like these guys are aren't, aren't as you know polished as an Andrew Luck type prospect, right? Like all these guys have the same sort of flaws that Bortles has. So maybe it's not merited that you know Bortles should lose his job. I mean, yes, he hasn't been good uh, through you know two out of his first three seasons, and. I, I don't know if there are clear signs that he's going to get better, but at the same time, we don't know that. Like, if he puts in a, an actual offseason of work this year, uh, maybe he shows up and he's ready to, you know, take that next step to become, like, an Andy Dalton type. I, I think that's within his range of outcomes. But, yeah, he definitely seems like he has a lot to lose. I, I thought that that was a good potential landing spot for Tony Romo uh, before he retired. Uh, I, I think that it, it does seem like the Jags are ready to move on, and I think that's a good call. Are, are there any other uh, starting QBs you're worried about by chance? No, not really. Okay, fair enough. Um, Chad Kelly, I want to talk a little bit about, about Chad Kelly. What are the odds that Chad Kelly elevated Laquan Treadwell as opposed to the other way around two seasons ago? Like, we saw Treadwell do nothing in the NFL last season. Is it possible that, you know, Treadwell was the bust and Kelly is going to be the player who ends up being, you know, worthwhile to fantasy owners? Yeah, I think that's possible. It's actually a really interesting question. I hadn't really thought of that. Like, I, I think that the reality of Treadwell is that we probably just hyped him too early and then we never actually took that, those statements back. Like, like in 2014, everyone loved Treadwell. They thought he'd be a top 10 pick. But then after he kind of didn't do that much his final year, people didn't really pull that, didn't pull those statements back. And he kept that first round draft stock. Now, obviously, he went a lot later, but he still went in the first round when he probably shouldn't have. Um, that's the reality might just be that Treadwell's not that good. Kelly, I think, probably is really talented. The thing that we don't know about Kelly is, is he going to stay healthy? Is he going to not be a knucklehead off the field? But the on the field stuff, you know, for me at least, looks pretty good. Yeah, he definitely seems like he has the physical talent to be a QB in the NFL and a good one at that. But you're right, the off the field stuff, uh, the mental stuff, and, and and this is something we have to. It's so impossible to figure this stuff out, right? Like we don't know this guy personally. All we're going on are reports. Um, teams have to have to sift through this as well. It'll be really interesting to see where he goes. I, I doubt that we'll see him, you know, on the first day or two. I mean, maybe day two. Uh, what do you think about his uh, draft slot? I think he's probably going to go in round six or round seven. That sounds um, right. Yeah. The off-the-field stuff at quarterback just usually turns a lot of teams off. Okay. Um, let's turn our attention to the other positions here. I want to talk about running backs, wide receivers. Where's the talent cutoff for you in the first round of fantasy rookie drafts this year? Um, that is to say, what's like the overall lowest pick you'd feel like you're still landing a stud prospect or a top-tier prospect? Well, I don't know if it's fair to call them all studs. Yeah, I mean, I think that if I kind of just put the quarterbacks aside, I think that the only real stud skill guy is Corey Davis. Like, he's he's the one guy that I love 
and that I think if you need to put even if you put him in a couple of like the last couple draft classes, he'd still rate really highly. Um, so he's like the only like one A kind of guy that I think is here. Uh, if I wanted to look at kind of that next tier, I guess I would be looking at um, like a Curtis Samuel, uh, Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I really like Dante Foreman, Jeremy McNichols, those kind of guys. But I mean, it, even like those one B guys in this class come with a lot of risk, in my opinion. Sure. So, so you think overall this isn't a great class for fantasy rookies? No, I mean it's very deep. Like I think it's a really it's a really good year to own, you know, like multiple seconds and multiple thirds. But in terms of the first round, I don't think there's a lot to like. Interesting. Um, so you you put aside QBs for your initial reaction. There are there any QBs that kind of make the cut for you uh, in start two formats? Yeah, I think I think that if Mahomes or Trubisky especially land in a favorable spot, like obviously I talked about Houston. Um, Houston and Cleveland for me are probably like the two biggest landing spots, just because those teams have, um, you know, I, maybe proven isn't the word, but they have quality weapons. Like I think, you know, DeAndre Hopkins. I'm a huge believer in Will Fuller. Uh, Houston still has Lamar Miller, and they have an awesome defense. So that's a spot kind of similar to Dak Prescott last year, where like a quarterback can come in and, you know, just be who they are. They don't have to worry about, uh, you know, forcing a lot of things. They don't have to worry too much about. Uh, have to you do know, a lot of much. pressure being on them. Right, exactly. And those are just situations where I feel like guys succeed. Okay, yeah, and Cleveland's kind of the opposite, where their defense is probably going to be bad again, and that you could see some garbage time stats pile up in, in that offense, which is a good thing for fantasy sometimes, not all the time. Um, so how do you rank that, that first 1A, 1B tier? I mean, Corey Davis is your clear 101, but how do you rank the rest of those guys you mentioned uh, kind of down into that second tier? Uh, you want me to include the quarterbacks? Uh, yeah, please. Okay, yeah, then I'd probably go Mahomes too. Uh, and Mahomes, like I said, like Mahomes could potentially be the one in the right spot, but I think Mahomes is probably two for me. Uh, then I would go McCaffrey. Um, and then I'd look at, at Trubisky. I think two quarterbacks in the top four this year is not even necessarily like a statement about the quarterbacks themselves. It's just about the rest of the class. Like I, I would just rather take a guy that could be a long-term starter for me in a 2QB league than someone who I don't even know if he'll be, you know, on my roster in a couple years. Uh, after after there, I'd probably go um, with Curtis Samuel, and then I would take uh, Dante Foreman and Jeremy McNichols. That's probably how I round out my top group. Okay, so talk to me more about Curtis Samuel. Why do you like him so much, or is it just that you dislike the other wide receivers in this class more? It's a little bit of both. I mean, the rest of the receivers in this class, I don't think are very good. Like, I'm not a Mike Williams guy at all. Uh, John Ross is... He's fast. Prop, yeah, he's fast. Like, he's going to have a role in the NFL, but I don't think he has, like, true fantasy upside. Um, and then, like, the other guys, like Juju Smith-Schuster, Chris Godwin, like, those are just guys we like because they're young and they've been somewhat productive, but I think in a better class, maybe we wouldn't like them as much, so... I'm a huge fan of Samuel because of that, but also just because I think he's such a unique talent. Uh, if you look mm -hmm. at kind of what he's done, both running the ball uh, and catching the ball at Ohio State, uh, on top of the fact that he ran a 4-3-1 at the Combine, he's just a really unique talent. His top comps in the box score scout app at Rotoviz are Percy Harvin, Tavon Austin, and Randall Cobb. Um, so, I mean, Austin obviously has been a, a pretty big bust, but the other two guys, 
have both been WR1s in fantasy. Yeah, and his junior year market share was pretty massive. I, I looked this up. He had like 27% of the offense's total production. That's receiving and rushing. Uh, 33% of the receiving production. Like, they used him a ton, and that's usually a pretty good indicator uh, of a talented player. Absolutely. And he played with Zeke and Mike Thomas, and he still did that. Yep. Um, so where do you, where do you see him sliding on the, like the running back wide receiver scale, is he more of a Ty Montgomery type for fantasy, or do you think he's more of a Tyreek Hill where he's uh, used more as a receiver? I think he's going to be used more of a receiver. Like I think that Percy Harvin kind of role is perfect for him, where he's like that low dot guy. They'll also give him some carries out of the backfield. He'll do all the stuff on special teams. Because um, he, he is like a bigger. He, like, he has like yep. some quality mass to him. He's just under 200 pounds. So uh, I like him kind of in in that kind of role. Yeah, I, sometimes situational players I use I use air quotes there worry me, but modern offenses seem to make everyone situational to an extent these days. And his quickness, if if used properly, seems like such a dangerous weapon. I mean, just like Montgomery, just like Tyree Kill, just like Jalen Richard or James White or Deion Lewis, whoever you want to talk about, these like slightly smaller but really fast and, and you know cut on a dime type players. I mean, there are only so many David Johnson types, but this guy does have the skills to, to have a clear role on an NFL offense if, you know, that coordinator or that play caller can design the right types of plays to involve him, right? Yeah, definitely. And, and like, that's what you want. I mean, if you look at the difference between a guy like Cobb, uh, you know, Cobb, Percy Harvin versus Tavon Austin, I mean, maybe Tavon Austin is no good. It's probably likely. But like he also has played with the Rams. Like it's you yep. know if you Jeff play for the right if you play for the Saints he'd probably be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like man that just makes me think of Ted Ginn and how the Saints signed him this off season. Like I'm so excited to see how they use him. Like I I don't think Ted Ginn is great, but he's really great at certain things. And if a team is smart enough to recognize that and deploy that sort of player in a way that one, satisfies that player's need for the ball, and two, you know, just creates mismatches, that's a recipe for success in the NFL. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, so I assume you're willing to reach for your guys like Samuel over the consensus. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, though I will say, like, if I know that that pick is going against the green, uh, like, I'm sure, like, the top – Guys in, in most leagues is going to be like, you know, Fournette and Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon. Like, those aren't guys I really like. So I would prefer to move back in the draft and pick up some assets rather than just take those guys outright. But if I can't find a trading partner, I'm just going to take my guy. Okay. So if, now let, let's consider an extreme situation, just, you know, a thought exercise. If ADP says you can wait until your next pick and still get the guy you want, but that player is clearly at the top of your personal board. What do you do? Do you take him anyway? Yeah, I just want to take him because I, chances are when my next pick comes, there'll still be a guy towards the top of my board that I really like. Because if I don't like the guys that are, if I don't like the guys that are up in ADP above the player that I like, those guys are probably still going to have to go before I pick again. And I obviously don't like them. So I'd rather just wait and get another player I like in the next round. Yeah. Do you think there's too much of a consensus? Do you think there's too much groupthink in how we rank players and how we do drafts? Like, I, I agree with you. I think if there's a guy that you think is clearly better, you should just take him because there's so much unknown in the first place that 
you might as well take a shot on, on what your process or what your analysis says is correct. But I, I feel like a lot of other folks, you know, get trapped by rankings or get trapped by the consensus into saying, well, I really want to take player X, but everyone else is telling me I need to take player Y, so I have to take player Y. Uh, do you think that, that there's too much consensus? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just really, it's easy, you know, paralysis by analysis, right? Like, it's easy to, to yep. see all these people that are respected say one thing and then be like, oh, man, like, I don't know, like, if chips are on the line, if I want to, like, trust my gut. But, I mean, that's how you have to play. That's, I, that's the only way you're going to gain an edge in this game is if you just trust yourself and, and make some good calls. Yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree with that. Who is the best player in that gray area after your your tier 1A and tier 1B? Like, if you miss out on those those guys you listed previously in your top ranks, like, who's the player that you feel like most deserves to be considered next? Well, I think there's, you know, there's always, like, a couple different ways, uh, you know, that you can go. I'm a huge fan of, of Aaron Jones. I ranked him as, like, a top seven running back in pre-draft. I think he's very talented. He's a guy that I think you can get probably in the second round of your rookie drafts, but I think he could play out as being, um, you know, in the upper echelon. I think that, obviously, the quarterbacks we mentioned before, like Josh Dobbs, Chad Kelly, those are guys that maybe you don't want to take right there in that next group, but, you know, again, second round, third round of a rookie draft, especially two quarterbacks, like those are guys that, uh, you know, you can jump right in uh, and take a snag at. Can you go a little deeper on Aaron Jones? What do you like about him? He was just super productive in college, and I know it was at uh, University of Texas El Paso, so not exactly, you know, like a studly schedule that he's facing, but um, just ridiculous numbers uh, this past season, 7.81 yards per play, uh, had over 2,000 total yards and 20 touchdowns. Uh, he represented 45% of UTEP's total offensive yardage, so... Yes, wow. you know, he, 45%. Yeah. So like, yeah, like the guy played for a bad football team, but they realized, they recognized that he was the dude and they, and they let him work and he did really well. Um, Nick Frost over at Rotoviz took a look at, you know, some players with, uh, similar, similar, uh, yards per play. So over seven yards per play, over 40% of, uh, team offensive yardage. Uh, there were three guys on that list other than Jones, Melvin Gordon, Tevin Coleman. Uh, and another UTEP guy, Donald Buckram. Uh, now Buckram was like nowhere near the athlete that Jones was. wasn't even invited to the combine. Um, but Jones athletically matches up kind of well with like a Melvin Gordon. So I think that there might be something there where I don't know maybe he isn't exactly like a Melvin Gordon because he played for a Big Ten school, but kind of like a light version that could also be productive in the NFL. Yeah, that's a pretty good cohort. Even you know when you factor in the the difference in schedule and school. Um, do you have any quick takes on the tight end position, any rookies that you're looking at, or uh, thoughts on you know where that position should be drafted in general in two quarterback leagues? It's a really good class. Uh, I mean, David Njoku, O.J. Howard, those guys look like two of the better prospects we've seen in years, and I know like we tend to say that a lot <laughs> in rookie drafts. <laughs> Every year, man. But I, but I, and then you have to wait three years to find out. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I, I kind of think that this is legit. I mean, those guys grade out pretty high in a lot of the stuff you like to look at uh, for tight ends. You know, and even behind them, you have guys like Bucky Hodges. I love Janu Smith from uh, Florida Atlantic. Uh, so, I mean, there's just a lot of guys in this class. Uh, probably the only guy that I'm selling is Evan Ingram. 
Um, that's because he's 234 pounds. Like those guys who are lighter at tight end don't usually work out. Um, basically, like best case scenario is that he's the Darius Green, and even a guy like Darius Green has been someone we've been waiting for for like five or six years and has never really done anything. So uh, other than him, I think it's a, a really great tight end class up top. Yeah, I'm always fascinated by the tight end position in Dynasty because when you're drafting, it does seem like such a like a position of need question as to whether or not you can draft one early. Like, is, is that a position where you really need to improve? But that's you have to contrast that against the fact that tight ends rarely develop in year one, and even sometimes in year two. Like you said, there's still guys that we're waiting on that were supposed to be stud prospects, like Max Williams on the Ravens is a guy that comes to mind for me as... You know, this is year three we're about to enter, and, and is that the year where he finally, you know, steps onto the field and pushes Dennis Pitta out? We have no idea, but but you would have had to draft him three years ago in, you know, round two or round three of your rookie draft. So, yeah, like, I, I am of the opinion that I don't want to spend high draft capital on the position at all, just because not only is there so much general unknown in the drafting process, there's so much unknown in terms of projecting these guys long term, and that's what they are, they're long term assets, right? I, I totally agree with you. Like the cost, the acquisition cost on a tight end in a rookie draft is, is just no good. I mean, think about because it's a position that takes a couple years to develop, that's the situation. Like you're better off passing on these guys and then trying to acquire them via trade, you know, in year two, year three, when their cost has come down a little bit. Because I mean, unless they hit like, like an OJ Howard, He's a really good blocker. Like maybe, maybe he's like the one guy that hits as a rookie in the last like 10 years. It just doesn't happen. So it's almost guaranteed that next year, you know, instead of him being worth like the 108 this year, you could get him for like a mid second round pick next year or in two years. Yeah. So it sounds like you wouldn't be drafting any tight end in the first round and you might be avoiding them in the second round as well. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, let's move on to some Twitter questions and we kind of, touched on this tangentially earlier but uh thomas i'm gonna say callahan it might be talligan uh callahan asks tom brady a sell right and i i mean it sounds like you're you're buying or holding brady correct yeah definitely um i just bought i bought him in kitchen cinco which is a dynasty auction and i talked about that with uh lake on the last show like I, i'm definitely buying brady okay um and similar for breeze and and all the other you know older older Good QBs. Yeah, I'm. I'm all about. I'm all team old guys. Okay, is Cam Newton old enough to be an old guy yet? Where, where are you at on Newton? Because I think he's a, a fascinating value study right now in dynasty and in redraft. Uh, well, you know what's interesting is that like it kind of depends on your league because depending on like like the random sample of, of eleven other guys you're with, like some of those guys really like Cam Newton and some of those guys are really out on Cam Newton. It's yeah, he's very polarizing. Yeah, like, I mean, if I can get him for low-end QB1 cost, I'm on it. Because the upside, we just, I mean, he's only, you know, 12 months removed from, you know, one of the better seasons of the last couple of years. So I'm buying if I can get him there. If people like him still as, like, a top-five guy, I'm probably selling. Yeah, I think that he's right there at, like, QB6 or QB7 for me in redraft. Uh, in Dynasty, I think he's still young enough to maybe be considered QB5 or QB6. And, and... I do have some concerns about him long term based upon how much he does run the ball. Uh, I think that, you know, while he is a monster, he's held up pretty well for most of his career. I think, you know, as he gets older, it might be harder and harder to maintain that rushing workload. Um, but with that said, maybe he gets smarter, maybe he picks the spots better. It's hard to say. I think that with him sliding into like 
the ninth or tenth round of MFL tens right now, that's a place where I'd be willing to buy him. Um, in Dynasty, I, I'll, I'll leave your analysis to stand on its own. I think you, you know more about that stuff than I do. But um, any other? Uh, how about? Oh, here's a follow up question: Are there any redraft QBs or excuse me, Dynasty QBs that you believe are a sell right now? Uh, I mean, I'm always selling Matt Ryan. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't have him anywhere, but like, I feel like if you have Ryan, like, he just came off of the best season you could possibly hope for if you ever own Matt Ryan. Like, and now yeah. they don't have Shanahan, you know, now they, um, you know, no Aldrick Robinson. Yeah. Come on, man. The dude. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I'm selling Matt Ryan. I mean, I'm always, my philosophy on quarterbacks is like very similar to my philosophy on running backs, which is that if they have like that top tier season, that ceiling level season, and I don't think that that's their norm, I'm going to try to move them. Just get so out. Like last, yeah, like last year I would have traded Newton. This year I'm probably moving Matt Ryan. Um, you know, if someone busts out this year and I don't believe in it, I'll probably try to move him next year. It's just kind of how I try to operate. Bortles after 2015 was another good example of that. It's just you saw him put up those crazy video game numbers. And we, if you watched him, you knew he just wasn't that good. Um, you, you mentioned running back being similar. There, What uh, running backs from last season would you sell based upon what you perceive to be uh, overperformance? Uh, well, I actually just sold David Johnson uh, in my home dynasty league. Uh, I traded him for Amari Cooper and a second-round pick. So probably not as much as maybe you'd expect. But like for me... I really value Cooper very highly. I mean, I, I obviously value receivers very highly. So um, owning someone that's like a top four or five dynasty wide receiver for me uh, is always super valuable. I, I don't think that in a year I'll be able to get that same deal. Uh, so that was another part of my motivation. Um, and also just I just want to own Amari Cooper. Like, I just think he's the dude, you know? Yeah, I, I think Johnson does have some health concerns. Uh, I, I think that you'd agree on that. But um, Co- Cooper's interesting. I think that... I'm glad you brought him up because, to me, the way that we regarded Mike Evans last year is exactly how Amari Cooper should be regarded this year. But for whatever reason, he's still a little under that value to me, at least for a redraft and MFL 10s. Like, I'd expect him to be more often associated with an, a late first-round pick in those formats. Um, do, do you feel like Cooper's a little undervalued right now? Because I do. Undervalued? Yeah, just slightly. Not Not a whole lot, but just a little bit. Yeah, I, I can get on board with that. I told I thought you were gonna say overvalued and then we would have had a we would have had to have a debate. Like I mean I think that like he was he has never not been a producer, if that makes sense. Like No, totally. Like all, all the whole time he was at Alabama, he crushed. He was like this awesome prospect. He's had, you know, a thousand yards, two straight years. Like I don't really know what more we could want from him in terms of like development. The only thing missing is, you know, is he gonna have the breakout year where all of a sudden he starts scoring like a, a bunch more touchdowns and he starts getting, you know, some more targets. And I think that could happen this year. Yeah, that's absolutely what reminds me of Mike Evans. Like going into last year, Evans was coming off that, you know, small touchdown sample. And then, but we all kind of knew that, you know, he was big enough and good enough to better those numbers in 2016. I think that Cooper has the exact same type of statistical profile um, in terms of, you know, he underperformed in that way last year, but he, he should regress to a larger uh, touchdown rate or, or touchdown volume uh, in 2017. I think that he's a, a good target. Um, let's move on. Uh, James Todd at Spider2YBanana asks, are Amixta takes bad, very bad, or the worst? I'll let you answer this because they're your takes. 
<laughs> I mean, they're obviously the worst, right? I mean, <laughs> think about like some like I whatever. Like I just speak my mind, so like in there you're gonna get like some really really bad takes. Like I mean, listen, like I, I've been saying for like three years that Aaron Rodgers isn't that good. Like that's obviously a bad take. Um, <laughs> you know, like I'm I can I I own up to who I am. Like that's I'm not gonna try to argue that like my takes are good. Like they're they're the worst. Yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote Humpty and say the answer is D. Uh, none of the or I, D, and Humpty was all of the above. This is D. None of the above. So I'm not quoting anybody except myself, I guess. Um, moving on, uh, Devin Vaughn uh, at Devin Vaughn Seven asks, or he says, I would appreciate some conversation on Superflex startup, uh, 14 team PPR, quarter point per carry, and tight end premium. Uh, start 10. It's it's got a Superflex, a quarterback, two running backs, two wide receivers, and three regular flex. 30-man roster, so pretty deep for a 14-team league. Um, let's let's talk quickly about the non-standard scoring here, uh, tight end premium and quarter point per carry. How do those affect your your draft process, Anthony? Uh, I mean, first of all, Devin, this is an awesome league. Like, I love the yeah. I love the, the different scoring and stuff. Um, and if it's tight end premium, like I think that this gives you, I think tight end premium and point per carry gives you you know extra incentive to be aggressive on the positions that people usually askew in a dynasty league. Like, people usually are going to pound wide receivers. They're going to try to avoid running backs. They're going to try to avoid tight ends. Um, but with this scoring, I think those are actually positions I might be aggressive on just because, um, you know, having a stud running back is going to be even more valuable in a league where, you know, you get an additional, you know, 50 points for them being a 200-carry running back. Um you know, a tight end like Jordan Reed or Rob Gronkowski or Travis Kelsey that's going to catch, you know, 60-plus passes, could even approach, you know, 90 passes uh, caught. Like, those guys are going to be worth even more. So I would probably be a little more aggressive on those, um, and I would just embrace risk. I'd be a lot more willing to embrace variance and risk in that kind of league, uh, you know, just because uh, you want to increase your yearly ceiling, and it seems that you're going to do that through those positions. Yeah, I think in any league like this where each of the positions is kind of bumped up by the scoring, you know, wide receivers get the PPR scoring, running backs get the point per carry, um, tight ends get uh, an extra bump in terms of their receptions. What that tends to do is it elevates the elite players, like Anthony was talking about with the running backs. If you can get the guys who are high-volume guys at any position, you need to get those players. And that's where, you know, taking the risk on a Tyler Eifert or a Jordan Reed, even though, you know, maybe they haven't stayed healthy recently – the fact that we know that they're elite producers when they are on the field, if they do put together that full 16-game season, those guys are going to pay huge dividends. And so what you have to do, in my opinion, is figure out where the cutoff is for you know elite eliteness, if that's a word, uh, in terms of each tier. So if you miss out on the elite running backs, like if those top three to five guys go in the first round before it's your pick or whatever, then you definitely need to look to the other positions. You need to look at Gronk. You need to look at the top wide receivers instead. And there's that constant interplay between the three positions as you go through your draft. Um, the interesting part about this is that it's also a super flex league, right? So you have to consider quarterbacks high value as well. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about general kind of deep super flex startup. Like I think that especially for a 14 team, 30 roster construction like this, you have to consider those elite QBs in the first round because, if you don't get, if you miss out on them, you're going to almost have to certainly attack the position in round two, three, or four, at least to make sure you get one solid starter. 
Um, where are you at on on just kind of deep super flex in general, Anthony? Uh, how early are you willing to take quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, especially with 30-man rosters, I think that has to prioritize that position a little more than like I normally would. Uh, in like a 20, in like a 22-man roster, uh, you know, I might be willing to wait a lot more than most people. Uh, but in 30-man, I mean, it's really hard to argue that you should leave like the first three rounds without, without, without a quarterback. Um, and maybe you can. I mean, I, I think that, you know, uh, when I think back to like the Scott Fishball, like I don't think I took my first quarterback until like round six or seven, you know, and it was Andy Dalton. Like I, you could, you, you could probably live with that, you know, and it's super flex. It's not two QB. So, you know, even though you really want a second quarterback, uh, at least you know, if you don't have a guy that you can start every single week in that super flex spot, at least you can play another positional player. So, um, I, I think like I'm kind of talking myself into like throughout this answer, maybe even still waiting a little bit and just trying to like hoard a little bit at the position. Like I'm definitely a QB hoarder. I don't like to necessarily spend a lot, but I like to acquire a lot of guys. Yeah. You don't have to twist my arm into convincing me that late round quarterback is the way to go. Um, but with that said, like something like the Scott fishbowl is a little different one because it's only 12 team uh, and two, because it's not dynasty, right? Like in dynasty, if you can land uh, an Aaron Rodgers or an Andrew Luck or even a Cam Newton, um, somebody who's going to be a consistent starter for many, many years. That that has a, a little bit more value to me, uh, in, considering the format, than someone like Andy Dalton or Tyrod Taylor or, or somebody who might not have quite as much of a ceiling or quite as much of a, uh, a solidified role. Now, I mean, those guys both seem like pretty entrenched starters at this point. We'll see what the Bills do in the draft, of course. But they're not going to you know, elevate your team ceiling. Like you said, there, there's a little bit more, I guess there's, there's, they're more safe picks than they are high variance picks. Um, but, you know, with that said, even the mediocre quarterbacks have great weeks too. So if you play the matchups right and whatnot, you, you can, I, I don't think there's a wrong way to do it with quarterback. And so I can see the appeal of waiting definitely. Um, but for a deeper league like this, I might be more willing, and this is coming from a late round guy to, look at the quarterback position sooner just in the chance that I can get a guy who is quote unquote elite, you know, a guy who is going to be with my team for his entire career and put up, you know, top 15 QB numbers every season, if not better. Yeah, I could definitely buy that. Um, I mean, the only leagues for me, like I feel like most of my two quarterback leagues where I've done well, uh, like over time, I've ended up acquiring someone who like I can trust, you know, like a Kirk Cousins or an Andrew Luck, uh, and then kind of rotating that QB two spot. So, you know, in a super flex, like maybe you can get, like you said, like you you want to lock in that guy you can start every week, but then if you can give yourself options uh, in a two Q, in that second quarterback spot, even if the guys aren't perceived to be that good, like a Brian Hoyer, or a Josh McCown, a Cody Kessler, like. You get a bunch of those guys, you know, throughout the year, you're going to end up still getting some nice weeks. Yeah, I was going to bring up that exact same point, is that with a deep roster like this, 30-man roster, you can just soak up a bunch of backup QBs in case that they hit. It's like handcuffing running backs. It's the same same principle. Just, you know, kind of take a shotgun spread approach, uh, draft a bunch of different QBs, and, you know, some of them will luck into starting time, some of them won't. Uh, And we've seen that, you know, when QBs get to play, they're going to put up some amount of, Points. Like it's it's very rare that a quarterback will score under ten points in a week, and usually like 
13 to 15 points is pretty bankable, even for the, the quote-unquote bad QBs. Um, that's not going to elevate you above other teams. But if you are, uh, you know, investing less in the quarterback position as a whole, you can try to elevate your team in other ways, so, you know, at tight end with tight end premium, at running back with quarter point per carry in this particular league, um, at wide receiver with PPR. So, yeah, I, I think that the quarterback position, especially because it's super flex and because the other positions get these bonuses, uh, Devin, you, you probably can wait at QB, but I wouldn't begrudge you for locking in, uh, you know, that every week starter that we've been talking about. Um, anything else on, on dynasty startup you want to, you want to touch on Anthony or anything else in general? No, I think this was a really awesome show. I mean, I'm, I'm really pumped for the draft and to see kind of where these guys land. And, you know, obviously that's going to make a lot of changes to dynasty landscape. Yep. And I'm hoping that, um, I'm hoping to have you back on after the draft so we can kind of check back in and see what's changed for you. Um, I'm the type of person who leans a lot on guys like you and other folks in the industry to get, uh, my dynasty knowledge. I I tend to focus on redraft for the most part. So this has been helpful to me. I I hope it's been helpful to the listeners. And, um, I think post draft, uh, getting another peek into your process in terms of how, you know, landing spot affects these guys is going to be really important. So, um, looking forward to that as well. Anyway, with all that said, let's let's wrap up the podcast. Uh, you should definitely follow Anthony at Amixta on Twitter. Uh, you can find his work, uh, as I said before, uh, at 2QBs.com, at Rotoviz, at Numberfire, uh, Fantasy Insiders. Um, you, you can find him on Draft Consultants as well. Uh, my name is Greg Smith. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. Uh, you can follow the site at 2QBs, and that's T-W-O-Q-B-S. Um, our email is 2QBs at gmail.com. Definitely stop by the site. Uh, we're putting out a lot of content right now, mostly thanks to Anthony. You've been crushing it on the, the armchair scouting reports, uh, just dynasty content and rookie content in general. It's been awesome. Um, but a, a bunch of other great writers on the site as well. I, I know that uh, Derek Klassen just signed on to start uh, writing some stuff for us. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, he had a, a really good piece on Deshaun Kaiser on his blog. Um, I'll link to that in the show notes just uh, as an afterthought here. Uh, final thing would be to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever else. Uh, we'd appreciate the support. Uh, that that helps us, you know, promote the show. Um, and even if you want to promote it, just by word of mouth, like tell your friends about it. Uh, you know, give us some retweets. We'd appreciate it. Uh, we want to grow the audience this year, and you know, kind of keep keep crushing, keep moving forward. Uh, Anthony, thank you very much for joining, man. I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you having me, Greg. Anytime. All right, man. Well, soon we'll do it again soon. Uh, otherwise. Take care. Uh, Thank you listeners very much, and we'll catch you next time on the 2QB Experience. Adios.